Welcome to the Know Your Ancestors podcast. I am sitting here with Maggie Clapp, and she has an Instagram account called Clappily Home that I came across and love. And I'm so excited to share some of her ancestor stories and old homes with her. Maggie, can you just introduce yourself and kind of share what your Instagram account is? And and we'll go from there. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. So Maggie Clapp, I'm based in Cleveland, Ohio, specifically Cleveland Heights, Ohio, if you are at all familiar with Cleveland, but I own an Instagram account called Clapley Home, where really we're appreciating all things old homes. So it was so fun when we got a chance to meet because I think there's a real connection to our ancestry and the things that they built including the home. So certainly appreciation and and then hopefully becoming a resource for all things kind of old home and and specifically homes in in Cleveland. I love it. There's so many neat homes in Cleveland. I like, I wasn't aware of, of that. And so it's neat. Nobody knows it, but we were like at one time, the fifth largest city in the United States with like lots and lots of wealth. So now we live in, you know, we can afford all of these really, really big, well, maybe not everybody, but (laughs) these really huge mansions that would be like tens of millions of dollars in large cities now are like, you know, normal homes. Wow. Yeah. So cool. So cool. Yeah. So have you always loved old homes? Like where did your love of that come from? I had, so I've always lived in, I, my parents still live in the home I was born in. It was a 1920s home. My first home was a 1920s home. So certainly have always been around and appreciated the details. Love going to estate sales with my mom that probably helped, helped it. And then my grandparents, my, her parents were older. And so they lived a much longer life and it was kind of interesting aside from just homes, like stuff, I mean, even in the background, all of this stuff is from my grandparents or from somebody. So maybe it's just like old things and the history of, of old things, but translates to old homes in in the neighborhood. We live in a 1930s oh, cool. now, and this is like the youngest home I've ever lived in. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. certainly it's probably always been there. Right. It stems from my, my parents. Oh, cool. My mom. So, so you said your mom's family you were close with her parents. Are you were you close with much of your other family or extended family? Yeah, very much so. My father, he's one of two, but his his parents very very close with. There, it was actually my O'Neill side of the family. My grandpa was one of five. They had my dad then had twenty seven cousins. Those are like who we hang out with. Oh, cool. <laughs> Easter and Christmas, Thanksgiving, like if we are with the O'Neill side, it's actually like my first cousin once removed plus second cousins and now (laughs) even gone beyond that. So definitely have a really big family, but very close. And then same with my mom's side of the family. We've got 15 first cousins and yeah, to get together and all that. And it looks like a lot of them are in Cleveland, at least you're extend of like your grandparents, great grandparents looking at your family tree. I saw the <laughs> Cleveland, you have some good Cleveland roots there. Yeah. And for the most part, East side of, of Cleveland from what I know. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. 
which is like in Cleveland, there's kind of a divide. Uh-huh. Typically, West side, it, it takes a big person to take the leap. On. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's usually oh, it in one side or the other. Oh, funny. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's get sharing some things about your family tree. We had Jamie from Shifting Sands Genealogy research your family tree. She was able to find some some old homes of some of your ancestors and some interesting things about them. There's also some public member trees on Ancestry from your cousins that they have created family trees as well. So we are going to share some information from those too. So I'm not sure how many things you know about your great-grandparents or, or great-great grandparents as we go along but here is the home if you're watching this on youtube you'll be able to see these pictures that i'm sharing here with maggie but this is the home of your great grandparents james john o'neill and dorothy Mayer. so they were married july 7th 1928 and they were shown living in this home in 19 in the 1930 census and at that time they had one child your grandfather James John Mm -hmm. Jr. And his father, James Sr., was working as a cement salesman. They were renting this home for $100 a month along with one other family. Are you aware of this home? You you acted like you... No. No. I'm not. But like Dorothy, I had the privilege of meeting in my lifetime. I was very young. But just the fact that like I feel like I would know where this home is and the fact that it's like a Tudor. I don't know. It feels right. very familiar to me, even though, no, I'm not, I don't know this home. I knew another home of my grandpa's. That might be this next one. I'm not sure. So this one's in Cleveland Heights. And you said that's where you mm-hmm. live too, right? So this 10 years yeah, later. My house. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so 10 years later, in the 1930 census, they were living here on Lamberton Road. Well, 1940, so not 1920. The 1940 census, they were living here on Lamberton Road in Cleveland Heights, and they now had five children and a maid. And he was listed as being a wholesale cement salesman. That's awesome. I never knew what he did either. Right. Yeah, so for at least those 20 years, he was in the cement business. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. And then 10 years yeah. later, they were again living in a different home. It was just down the street from where they had lived. And they had six children at home now. And your great-grandfather was listed as being a commercial trucker. And he was now 53 years old, okay. I think. That's the one. Yeah. That home is the one that they were living from about 1942 to 1950. So in the 1950 census, they were listed in this house. Okay. Yeah. yeah I didn't know they bopped around so much. I know. <laughs> Every yeah. census, they're in a different house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So is that home? Are you like, is that area close to you? Is Meadowbrook so, Boulevard? Yeah, yeah. Five minutes. This is probably like around the corner from that Lamberton house that you oh, showed. Okay. And I knew of a home, but maybe it was, maybe it was just my grandpa. Maybe it wasn't his whole, his parents. Cottage Grove, which is also, you know, right. Yeah, uh, and that could have been, that could have been a in between the census year, at least, yeah. or a year that is after 1950, because 1950 is the most recent census that we have. So it could have been after that or, or in between some or 
whatever. Yeah. But, and it yeah. makes sense. They all, um, they walked to their grade school, which is like right there. It's, it's across the street from Lamberton Road is the grade school that I know oh, my cool. grandpa went to and his siblings went to. Oh, cool. So I didn't know they lived on Lamberton, but right. yeah, they went to school at, it's, it was St. Anne's at the time. But, oh, cool. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So then this home is the home of your two times great grandparents. So your James O'Neill, his father was James B. O'Neill and Rosanna Murphy was his, his wife. They lived in this home in about 1917 to 1921. So this is where they were living when he actually passed away. This was his residence. And yeah, so they they live when he died, he was 64 years old and and this was his home. They had six children. And yeah, this is in the census just the year before he passed. And they were living there with four of their children were living there at the time. And it says that he was a salesman in the refining company. Yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> there was a lot of coal and steel right. and oil refining right. going. Yeah. So then you can see your great grandfather here listed. He was 22 and was living with his parents and he was a clerk, an office clerk. So, yeah. So they were living at that home. It's kind of a cool looking home with the (laughs) super cool looking home, like kind of Victorian, a little turret or I don't, I don't always know what you call those, but right. And the diamond diamond windows. And I'm trying to think, where this would be West 116th. Yeah. So that's, yeah, a little bit further away. They, they migrated mm-hmm. over. Hmm. Oh, cool. That's, yeah. That's super cool. I, we didn't know really anything about this generation or anything mm-hmm. about James's siblings. If he had, like we, we knew he had siblings, but weren't sure mm-hmm. if it was two girls or what. So it's, oh, nice. this is awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's take a look here. I'm okay. So this is that James B, the older one. Um, mm-hmm. So your second great grandfather. And I thought it was interesting what his occupation was listed here. This was in 1910. He was 54 years old with five children living at home still. His youngest was 11. Can you see what his occupation there is? This is salesman. Can you read what that says? The pickles. Pickles. <laughs> like, was he a pickle salesman? Like, is that a thing? <laughs> I love, I, I love too that he, that these are all salesmen. I feel like right. they, my dad was a salesman. I am a saleswoman. Oh, um, wow. My brother is a sales, like now James O'Neill, my brother is in sales. I feel oh, like funny. that's like, <laughs> Runs through the bloodline, I guess. You do. No, really. Oh, whatever it is, if it's cement or pickles. <laughs> cement or pickles. I just thought that was really funny. I'm like, that does say pickles, right? Yeah, it does. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So then in 1880, so before this James B., the pickle salesman, before he was married, he worked as a grocer in Algony, Pennsylvania. So this is kind of interesting how he's listed in the census here. He's listed first, but it says he's a son. I don't know if you can see that. And then yeah. his mother and mother and father are listed below him. So I'm guessing that is probably maybe he owned the home that they lived in. And so he was listed first and then his mother and father. And then actually 
his grandmother was living with them too. His mother's mom was living there too. So this is in Pennsylvania. So he must've owned that home. And then they were living with him. You can see that his father, James, there's a long lines of James is here. <laughs> his father, James was a watchman at the penitentiary at the age of 50, 55 there. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. yeah. And he was a grocer. So that's also like a salesman again. <laughs> So then this James, according to census records, was born in Ireland, possibly Scotland, and some he listed Scotland. And then his wife, Marianne Brady, was born in Ireland. They came to Pennsylvania sometime before before this James was born. So this Marianne and James came sometime to uh, Pennsylvania before their son, this James, (laughs) was born in 1856, because he's listed as being born in Pennsylvania. And I noticed the difference in the spelling of O'Neill there. Yes. Yeah. I, I wonder what that, because the traditional Irish spelling would be O apostrophe N-E-I-L-L. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that, right. So that could have just been the census taker when they said their name. They could have just written it down N-E-A-L instead. Yeah. So it really... This was in 1880, and really, like a lot of the spelling of names and things wasn't standardized until like the early 1900s, and so they could have spelled it several ways, also too. But, okay. Yeah. So there is a lot of Jameses in your family, <laughs> as you can see, yeah. and you even said your brother is named James. So and there's my even brother's more. Son. My brother has a son. Oh wow! It's like my father's. <laughs> Brother's name is James. My brother's James. My nephew is James. Yes, lots of James. <laughs> yeah. So this is one of the bottom years. Your great grandfather, James John O'Neill, he was born in 1929. His father, James John O'Neill, 1896 is when he was born. Then his father was James B. O'Neill, who was born in 1856, and then his father, who was born in probably Ireland, was born in about 1825. And we weren't able to find really anything about more about like where in Ireland or more about his family. It it is a possibility. Irish research does get quite difficult because a lot of the records were destroyed, but yeah, that could be something. I was kind of, I had talked to my dad about this and that's what we were curious about. If you'd find anything We we had suspected that they were from, you know, Ireland, Northern Ireland, um, Mm -hmm. you know, back before, England came in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously in a Catholic family in Northern Ireland around that time, it would be harder to, to like tell where they were. Right. Where yeah. And with some more, some more work on it, might be able to find out some more, but that was interesting. We'll be right back after hearing about one of our sponsors. Story.com is a new online platform that is completely changing the way you do family history. On Storied, you can build a family tree and find records, but the main difference is the stories. That's really the point of learning about our ancestors, right? To find and write the stories. Storied allows you to easily write your own stories or the stories of your family and ancestors or your friends with pictures in an easy to access feed. You can invite who you want to view your stories in your own private group. It's a lot of fun and a really cool way to get the stories accessible to those who want to know them. At Storied, you can add people to your family tree that are associates or friends. We all have those people in our life that we aren't related to, but they feel like family. 
With Storied, you can tag and add these people to your tree and to the stories you share. So go to storied.com and give it a try for free. And you can get 10% off your first subscription by using the code Megan10. And now we're back. But your Irish roots do not stop there. You have more Irish roots in your mare family. So Dorothy yeah. Mare was your great-grandmother. And Mar. her... Mar. I'm saying it wrong. Mar. Yeah. Okay. Mar. Dorothy Mar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we know Dorothy Marr. We okay. know a little bit about Marr. Yes, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, so her, your third great-grandfather, John Marr, Mar, is that how you say it? Mar. Yeah, Mar. like M-A-R. M-A-R, Marr. Okay, yeah. so I was like John Mayer. <laughs> Not a singer. <laughs> All right, so John Marr, he is your third great-grandfather, and he came from Ireland. And I just... Wanted you to read. This is his obituary. Could you just read this part of it just to the end there? Yeah. John Marr, an old and respected citizen, died at one yesterday morning of diseases incident to old age at his home, 1327 7th Avenue. He was born in Camoni, County Carlow, Ireland, June 14th, 1880. He immigrated to this country, arriving November 2nd. 1835, after a perilous sea voyage lasting six weeks. Oh, man. He entered the mercantile business with his brother, William, at Blairsville, but shortly afterward embarked in the same line of business for himself at Stalsburg. While there, he married Miss Catherine Rourke, who died in Altoona, Mm -hmm. December 3rd, 1893, Some years ago, he returned to Blairsville, and in the early 60s, he operated a large flour mill. Remaining there 10 years, he then moved to the city and resumed his occupation of conducting a general merchandise store. Yeah, so that's pretty unique in an obituary to have the exact place that he was born, his birth date, talks about when he emigrated, like all of that. So that is like gold as a genealogist to find that in a in an obituary that's everyone's dream especially with irish research because it can be so difficult and that actually it's so it, it in the obituary is spelled ch but it's actually cl so clomony county carlo okay i don't know clomony yeah I, it's or just even it's carlo is is a new i don't know that either yeah so it's spelled differently than they wrote it here it's c a r l o w I looked up just a picture of this is in County Clarlow. <laughs> There's like this old castle. So who knows if it was close to where your third great grandfather was born. We don't know again much about his family. We just know where he was born in this town lo- townland of Clomony, which this townland is actually quite small. It's only 0.23 square miles. So with that information, you might be able to find out more with maybe some local research in Ireland more specific records for that area, you might be able to find something about his heritage just because that little tidbit of information like that can really narrow it down. Yeah. That's incredible. And that picture is awesome. It's fun to like put a connection to kind of where, where they were. Right. Yeah. I'm sure Ireland is a beautiful place. You might need to go to Clomany and go Oh, why? Sure. Yeah, we marked it now. It's now on the bucket list. We're gonna right. find, find yeah. his house <laughs> for sure. 
Okay. So then John and Catherine's son, Thomas Kearney Marr, was your second great grandfather. This is a picture of him that we found on someone's public member tree on Ancestry. So there's a, a biography written about him from Elroy McKendry Avery in the book, A History of Cleveland and Its Environs, The Heart of New Connecticut. And just going to read some from that. Okay. So Thomas Kearney, or T.K. Mars, what he is called a lot of the time. He was born at Latrobe, Westmoreland County, Pennsylvania in 1862. After an education in the parochial schools, T.K. Mayor, Mar, I keep saying Mayor, T.K. Mar was found work as a messenger boy in the local offices of the Pennsylvania Railway Company at Altoona, Pennsylvania. It was the very same office in which two prominent men got their start, Andrew Carnegie and Robert Pitt came. Mr. Marr studied stenography while at work attending night classes and was there with the Pennsylvania Company 12 years, rising through various offices until he was made chief clerk to the freight agent at Altoona. However, the employment that brought him his broader opportunities in life was as a private secretary for the president of the First National Bank of Altoona. So he worked for that bank for 12 years, and its president had extensive coal interests. And from handling the clerical details, Mr. Marr was gradually promoted to other responsibilities and gained a thorough familiarity with the coal industry. So after leaving the bank in 1901, he bought the Belmont Coal Mining Company, whose properties are located in Belmont County, Ohio. So that's what brought him to the Cleveland area. And on October 1st, 1913, he organized the Persclove and Marr Coal Company with Joseph Persclove as president and Mr. Marr as treasurer. This company has since operated the original coal property in eastern Ohio and has also acquired many additional properties at the present time, whenever this was written, I should have checked on that. At the present time, they own in that one county about 9,000 acres of coal lands and have nine mines in production. So looks like you're a bit familiar with his story and his history. I am. Yeah, T.K. Marr. Probably because the you know he probably was the most prolific maybe in the mm-hmm. that we just know a lot and they had a really really big family so there's still some connections I think on the west side of Cleveland to the Mar family that my dad would know and we've heard more about him and what he was very involved in the Catholic Church and I think mm-hmm. some at least some of that acreage that he owned was then donated to Catholic charities after his death. So I know there's some, you know, good feelings in our Mm -hmm. family of the charitable work that he did. Yeah, there was some talk in his life about different things that he, different like positions he held with the Catholic Church and things. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, I had no idea though where he got his money or how he, Mm -hmm. how he started that he was going to school and working at a really young age and then just figured out how to work his way right learn what he could like that's kind of that's a cool yeah you know, dream like I, th- type. I think a lot when you see these see these wealthy businessmen you you think oh they just kind of it just happened or whatever but he started out as a as a secretary like and, and moved up and learned and and took chances I'm sure and yeah. then this is his home that he built in Cleveland they built this home in 1925 
um, in the 1920 census, him and his wife were listed at a different property. Right now it's a park. So I'm not sure if they were living there temporarily or what, or if that home was torn down, but it was like right a neighboring property that they were listed at in the 1920 census with their children. And then in the 1930, they're listed at this home. And in the history of this home, it was built in 1925 is what it lists, what it it wrote down. This home is like right along the coast of Lake Erie. It's Mm -hmm. 6,800 square feet with 10 bedrooms and five bathrooms. So it's quite a large home. Yeah. That is so cool. I've now I've got to go there and take of a course. Of <laughs> so cool. And that it was like, I don't know. It was built for that. You know, I often when I'm taking pictures of, of these homes, that like you just think about like who built it and what were they thinking mm-hmm. and what were they like and why do they what why did they need what they needed or what were they interested in? And to, to then have somebody in my family, it's like, well, they had. 10 bedrooms because they had like 10 kids or something. And yeah, and they did have quite a few children. I think I should look. I think they had six. Let me just look quick. Yeah, they had nine at least is what we have listed. I'm not sure if they were all still living at home in, in 1930 or 1925 when they built it, but they had in the 1920 census, they still had quite a few living at home. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. I think there was some servants there too. So they're not all children. One, two. Anyways, they had quite a few children. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's a cool thought too. Like thinking about usually in these large homes, it was like customary to have folks helping you <laughs> take care of the home mm-hmm. and to, you know, take care of the kids and all that. And like, Oh, when I live in a home that has two staircases, so <laughs> you know what, what would have been a butler, and we keep thinking, oh, wouldn't that be the dream to have somebody that like seriously help you take care of <laughs> all right. the responsibilities of life? <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna show you this. I put this here. Can you see that census now? Oh yeah, yeah. So this was in the 1920 census, and you can see that. So there's. Thomas K. Marr and his wife, Josephine, and they had one, two, three, four, five, six children living with them. Dorothy was your great-grandmother. She was 14 in 1920 when they lived there. In the 1930 census, she wasn't living with them anymore. So I'm not sure if he, she got a chance to live in that <laughs> in that big home or not. <laughs> but then there were this other Rose Victory. She's also their daughter. And then three of her sons were living with them too. So they had three grandsons and then they had a chauffeur, Samuel Arnold and a maid, Lucy Jackson. So, That's so cool. <laughs> I would a love full... chauffeur and a maid. <laughs> and I think victory, that would be a married name because I, yes. I think there's victory is, I, I know that name as a part of the family. I don't know. Oh, anything. really? Yeah, so that would have been her married name. It lists so there's this WD, which means she's a widow. So her husband must have passed. She was only 29 years old, but and had a son that's only 11 months old. So her husband must have recently passed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So they had a big home to see what his occupation. If we keep going over here, you see up at the top here, it says president of coal company. So he's the president. Yeah. One of, that's his daughter, I think was a secretary. 
Then we have an office clerk in the stock market was one of his children as well. So yeah, it's really interesting. So (laughs) that was a lot of information, a lot of old homes and things from your family. What, what are you feeling about all of that right now? I, I, I get kind of like, I don't know if it's like butterfly. I'm like so excited about it because you feel like a bit more of a connection. I think I've always had a connection to Cleveland, but you do feel a little bit more connection to Cleveland. And then when you see their homes, you can start to put through like how they, how they lived and Mm -hmm. what they did for a living was really cool. Like to know, you know, we're all just going through this world, trying to make a living and trying to better ourselves and better the family and, to think like, yeah, that it hasn't changed. That's, that mm-hmm. was what they were doing back then. I don't know. It's really cool mm-hmm. to, to think about. Mm-hmm. And I've got to go to those homes now. I've got, I'm going to be. Oh, like, definitely. Going to each one <laughs> of those <laughs> the homes so that I can get a, get a pick. <laughs> For sure. And I just think it's interesting to see like those two Irish ancestors, I'm sure when they came to, they both came to Pennsylvania, but I'm sure they both came with hardly anything. And just to think that, you know, that their descendants just kept trucking along and some probably more successful than others. But I just think there's a lot of, a lot of power in, in understanding that, you know, kind of how, how life can keep going and how our descendants can can take what we've given them and and amplify it or or improve themselves. So, yeah, I think it's a good like refresher on the American dream that I feel mm-hmm. like we learned about as kids. But in navigating the world now, it's sometimes you think about bad things or you see the bad stuff in the news all the time, and you forget about this dream that all mm-hmm. of our ancestors had at one point that mm-hmm. was to just continue to to make a better life for themselves and their families. And that yeah. here you could do that mm-hmm. in a way that you couldn't do a lot of other places. So right. I think that's kind of a cool, I think TK Mar certainly kind of shows that I think mm-hmm. um, yeah. in what you, what you've put together, but yeah, any of the kind of Irish, yeah, that was another kind of cool thing. I, I have done 23 and me. Mm-hmm. And we've grown up Irish. That was all, that was the only kind of heritage or ethnicity that we like related to. And I was a little nervous doing it. Like, what if we are like not even Irish? And we, <laughs> but I got it back and it's like 98% Irish. <laughs> and then it's so funny because we, we, it goes back, you know, right. potato famine even. Uh-huh. And so it's like, wow, it's, it's interesting that they've, they've been co- probably cultivated a community of, Irish immigrant. Irish, right. Oh, funny. Yeah. But very cool. To see that. Yeah. Thanks for putting this together. It was, I think I'm going to be sharing this with my dad too. I think who (laughs) is like right at that age where he's feeling very sentimental. I think about Mm -hmm. the family and what has gone before him and stuff. And it's going to be fun for him to be able to hear a little bit more about where he came from. Well, I'm so glad and I'm thankful for Jamie for for researching your family and for finding some cool things that we could share with you. And I'm grateful that you accepted <laughs> my plea to get people to come on the God, the podcast here. It's been a lot of fun to take a look at your family and and just see, you know, the, the different sides of, of people's heritage and 
and it was a lot of fun. So thanks for coming, Maggie, and we'll see you next time. All right. Thanks so much, Megan. I'm so thankful to Jamie from Shifting Sands Genealogy for doing the research for Maggie Clapp's family. Um, it was really fun to to share the the homes that she was able to find and the relationships and things in her family tree. So Jamie specializes in Great Lakes or Midwestern research. So if you have any um, of your family tree that you need research done in that area specifically, uh, Jamie can definitely help you with that. You can go to her website, shiftingsandsgenealogy.com. I will link that in the show notes and link to her Facebook and Instagram accounts. So for her, her tip, I'm just going to read what she wrote. Um, so this is Jamie speaking. <laughs> she says, my tip based on this project, perhaps unsurprisingly, is to map out your ancestors. I have always loved maps, and this is one of my favorite things to do with my own genealogy. Especially if you're a visual person, there's nothing like seeing all of the key sites of your ancestors plotted out on a map. Like timelines and charts, mapping can be a powerful tool with multiple potential uses. It's key in cluster research and can even help reveal family relationships. What's more, if you're planning a trip to visit places where your ancestors lived, having an easily accessible online map can help you determine the route, stops along the way, and other sites you may want to visit. I encourage all family historians to make it a habit to put your ancestors on the map. So again, we'd like to thank Jamie for researching for this episode. So be sure to go check out her website and follow her on social media. Do you want to be on the podcast? Do you want to be a guest where we have a genealogist research your family tree for about five hours to see what we can find out about them, about your ancestors, and then we can share it with you? Well, we are doing a fun giveaway on Instagram and Facebook. You will need to go to Know Your Ancestors on Facebook or Megan Hillier on Instagram to find the post that uh, talks all about the giveaway. So what I'm giving away is a seat on the podcast. So maybe you have some mysteries in your family tree that having a professional genealogist could really help with. Maybe you know nothing about your family history and want to learn more. I am giving away a seat to the podcast if you leave a review on iTunes. Now, I know not everyone has an iPhone, me included. So if you can't leave a review on iTunes, you can go ahead and rate it on Spotify. But I'd really love for you to leave a review on iTunes. You actually can do it if you don't have an iPhone. You just need to do it on a desktop computer. So if you go and leave a review, go to the post on either Facebook or Instagram and comment and say that you've left a review or rating and you'll be entered to win a seat on the podcast. If you want to leave a rating and review, but you really don't want to be on the podcast, maybe you already know a lot about your family, or the idea of being on a podcast frightens you, I will give you $100 instead. So either way, you can win a seat on the podcast or $100 up to you by leaving a review and rating on iTunes. So go to the post on Instagram or Facebook to learn more about that. I will link that in the show notes and enter to win that. The deadline to enter is May 15th, so get those reviews in. And the reviews on iTunes do take a few days to show up. So if you're going to do it, do it as quick as you can so you can see those those reviews and make sure that, that you did that. All right, thanks so much for your support. Sharing and leaving reviews for this podcast is really the way for it to grow, to get the word out, and to get more listeners. So thanks again for listening today, and we'll see you next week.